0: Peter 3, 8 through 17. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil.
1: Um, I don't see anybody new in the audience, but there may be new folks um, watching this online or at a later date. So I just want you to know that um, we're the type of church that typically goes through things verse by verse. That's important to us. Um, And and starting in October, we went through the book of 1 Timothy, took a little break for Christmas, and then uh, it led us right into Easter, which was perfect. So today's sermon is actually a little bit of filler. And I was really interested in what Pastor Chris had to say about confronting sin, because he's, he's right, it's, it's hard to do that, and it's really hard to do that well. And so hopefully that dovetails into what we're going to talk about today, um, because today's sermon is out of a book called 1 Peter, which is actually a, a letter, and most s- scholars believe that Peter kind of wrote it. And when I say kind of wrote it, it's because at the very end of the letter, it says that um, it was possibly dictated to a friend of Peter's named Sylvanus. And that would be kind of like, you know, we might see uh, somebody dictating a letter, maybe a, a boss to a coworker or to a secretary or something. So we're not really sure, but we believe these are Peter's words, whether he wrote them or Sylvanus uh, took them as Peter dictated them. Um, so who is Peter? I'd like to think most of us know, but I want to make sure we cover that because it's really important here. Um, And Peter was part of Jesus's inner circle of 12 disciples. But Peter was a little bit more than that too, because Jesus seemed to confide in three disciples more than he confided in the others. And that would be Peter, James, and John. And Peter's name was changed. It was originally Simon, but when he made his confession that Jesus was Messiah, Jesus changed it to Peter, which means rock. And Jesus, you see, he promised that Peter would be a leader amongst his followers and and guide them in the early years. And so Peter carried Jesus' message forward, and this is where we find ourselves today with this letter. Because this letter was written sometime between 64 and 68 A.D., so roughly 30 to 35 years after Christ's death and resurrection. And Peter sent this letter to a whole bunch of different churches in what is now modern-day Turkey. So he wrote this to those churches, but he also wrote this to us, and he wrote it in order to tell us how to humble ourselves much the same way that Jesus did. And he wanted us to humble ourselves inside our home, so let's call this church community our home, and he wanted us to humble ourselves outside of our home as well. And the reason he does this is because Romans believed that Christianity was this subversive, evil thing. And they believed that it was actually an attack on the good order of the society that they had set up and thereby dangerous. And it was so dangerous in Roman minds that they made it illegal. And uh, Jesus followers like us were even hunted down and killed sometimes. And in light of those circumstances, Peter wants us, he wants you to respond and to respond well. And the reason following Jesus was subversive is interesting, it's because prior to Christianity, a household was obligated to follow whatever God, the patriarch, typically the husband, declared worthy. So if dad declared this was the God we're gonna follow, nobody else had a choice, that's who you followed. Well, Christianity came along the scene and it was different. Christianity called everyone Wives who had no social status, slaves who had no social status. It called everyone to think for themselves, to think independently and recognize Jesus as Lord. And so therefore, this little thing that Christianity brought new into the Roman kingdom was considered dangerous. They thought it was a slippery slope and this is going to be destructive to our good society. Which brings us back to this letter. So the purpose then was to encourage a beaten down and marginalized minority living an oppressed life under cultural authority. It's a letter written to people who look, speak, and dress just like everybody else, but because they think differently, they're dangerous. And so you might call them exiles. And, you know, today we're not exactly being hunted down, but there is a certain amount of ostracization going on against Christians in our culture at large. And so I want this message to resonate then and now because it should sound a little bit familiar. And so the part of the letter that I've chosen um, is what I would describe as lifestyle evangelism, which I would define as using your actions maybe more than words to reach non-believers. Now don't get me wrong, words are very important but without actions to back them up, words are empty and often appear hypocritical. And we don't want to appear hypocritical at all. So let's look at our first verse, which is verse eight here. It says, finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another and be compassionate and humble. Now it finally clues us in here that we're still learning about lifestyle evangelism from chapters one and two. In those chapters, we were introduced to the need to yield to one another, as I said, wives, slaves, everybody, um, both outside the house and inside the house, and honor everyone else as long as honoring them does not conflict with Jesus' teaching, which is our first point today. And I want you to know that how we treat each other, how we treat people in the church matters. It matters significantly. And so notice that the text says, finally, all of you. So again, Peter wrote this to a bunch of churches in modern day Turkey. And so to all of you tells us he's talking to people inside the church. And since Peter's writing to fellow believers in the church, he's writing to disciples, which makes us disciples. So yes, you too are disciples of Jesus. And in this, Peter actually gives us five traits that all of us should have. And so we're going to dig into those traits. Now, the first trait here, it says like-minded. Some translations say harmonious. Um, And whichever one you cling to is fine, but let's talk about what that does not mean. What What that does not mean is it does not mean that we're robots and don't have thoughts of our own. You know, here in our church, here at King's Cross, we have a statement of faith. And we have that statement of faith to keep us centered on the central teachings of Scripture, and the central teachings are a handful of core beliefs that we believe are non-negotiable. Those would be things like God's Trinitarian nation, or a nature, I'm sorry that Jesus died and rose from the dead. But we don't tell you how to think, but instead ask you to learn to read for yourselves with us. We ask you to talk to others that you respect. We ask you to develop your own conclusions on some of the more nuanced areas of the Bible. And if you spend enough time in the word and around the word, we believe that we will be in agreement on most things. And it also means that we agree to use scripture as the primary source for learning and understanding Jesus and his ministry. So I have a question for you. On average, how many hours a week are you awake? And I know some of you are doing the math right now, right? The average person should sleep about eight hours. That's what they tell us is healthy. I know some of us get a little less than that. But the ultimate answer is we're typically awake 112 hours a week. And church on Sunday, here, today, is roughly 90 minutes of our time with about 40 minutes of instruction. And so when Peter tells us to be like-minded, how do we do that in 40 minutes? I tell you, that's, that's not really something that we're capable of doing in such a short time. So we join home groups. We meet outside of the church and discuss scripture. We visit each other. We go on vacation with each other. We go to family dinners. You know, it's, it's kind of like we do life together. That's what Peter's asking us to do. And while we want to help with spiritual growth, there's only so much this church, any church, can do with 40 minutes a week. And I said before, part of what Peter's teaching is that following Jesus is up to each and every individual person. It's a personal calling that you can't rely on somebody else. Our old friend Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, you will never be saved against your will. Do you see that? You will never be saved against your will. This is about your will leaning into Jesus. God drags nobody to heaven by the ears. So I want you to know, we all need to work at this. This is not something that is necessarily easy, but it's something that we need to do. And then the second part in that verse uses the word sympathy. And sympathetic means that we're emotionally connected and we have great care and compassion for each other. We need to be moved by those we know We we should want to know those people that we don't, and we want to care for everybody. And so that especially means we're to care for people that are different than us, right? We're not much of a community if we're all the same. So I love when Pastor Chris or somebody else reads, are welcome. Hopefully we mean that. We want everybody to be comfortable here, and that's really important to not just the mission of King's Cross, but the mission of Christ's church. And we want to learn from each other. There's a lot of you that have experiences that I don't, and it's important for me to sit alongside of you and understand your perspective, to try and help myself be better, better educated, more well-rounded. And in doing that, I think what, one of the things we do is we love each other better. So the scripture verse there that says, says, love one another. And another question is, how do you love somebody that you don't know? It's a challenge. And so we want to learn brotherly love through being social, through helping each other out. Um, you know, I kind of alluded to it, but we're not supposed to be a loosely bonded group of strangers that see each other a little bit on Sundays. We're supposed to be intertwined in each other's lives in most every way possible. That's what community looks like. And then the next term there is compassionate. And compassion is like being each other's advocate. We need to be there shoulder to shoulder for each other. So I have to know you to be connected to you, right? I have to know you to be a proper advocate for you. So care and love on each other, putting your needs, our neighbor's needs, above our own is what, looks, what compassion looks like. And so we're supposed to be feeling, caring, and, and never callous. So most of you know, or a lot of you know at least, <clears throat> that my, uh, my oldest daughter and her family moved in with Linda and I for a time. And they have a daughter... She's four now, but when they lived with us, she was three, and her name is Billy Rose. And if you know Billy Rose, and I know a few of you know Billy Rose really well, you will know that she has great empathy, and she has great love, and she also has great compassion. And at three years old, she doesn't know how to carry that out sometimes, She's kind of a tough girl, but she's also a girly girl. Like, I would tell you her her two favorite types of clothing are, are princess dresses and princess dresses. So she's always pretty much in a princess dress. But she used to do this thing when she lived with us that that would just blow me away. And when she was feeling a deep love for me, and we often had, like, early morning times just together because we're the two early risers, she would come up to me and she would... She would sometimes grab my face if I wasn't paying attention, and she'd look at me deep in my eyes, and I, I wish I like, could film it, but she'd look at me and she'd say, Poppy, which is, that's me. She said, Poppy, I think you're wonderful. And I can't tell you what that does to a crusty old grandfather, but it, it definitely melts my heart. And so, I don't expect anybody's heart to melt here, but King's Cross, as a community, based on these traits, um, just like Billy Rose, I can't tell you how many times that I've wanted to grab some of you by the face and say, I think you as a community are wonderful. Now, I know it's not as cute or as meaningful, but uh, I'll work on it. And I want you to know that because things like being like-minded, showing love, compassion, and sympathy are things that you guys have been doing really well for a while now. You know, and I bring that up because there's an old saying that goes, praise what you want to see repeated. And so I just need you to know that the toughness in our last few years is recognized and acknowledged. And for a small church, we, we've had some significant loss. I mean, we've had a number of our members go through s- some surgeries, some big, some small. We've had some crazy illnesses. We've had m- multiple incidences of cancer that we're still fighting. We've had death. I mean, it's it's just been just been a horrible season for us. But I've seen you guys, this community, do things well over and over and over and I just couldn't let it go unacknowledged. As a matter of fact, I'm often humbled at how well you guys, we, care for each other. But I also know that through that process, sometimes people, they might feel a little left out. And so I I wanna go over a few ways to stay connected because I know all of us are made differently. Some of us are introverts, some of us are extroverts, Gay extroverts. Um, and some of us have a problem making that first phone call or maybe even sending that first text. And some of us, it's no problem at all. But notice in this verse, in these verses, that Peter doesn't differentiate between introverts and extroverts. He's talking to all of us. And so as, a, as an example, Linda and I, we meet with a lot of people from the faith community outside this church. And we've met with a number of you inside this church as well. And one of the most common things that we hear when people are are being open and a little transparent is we hear that a lot of people often feel left out and lonely. Now, I I personally think social media is responsible for a lot of that. It's easy to get pulled into social media and say, why wasn't I invited, or that looks like fun. Um, But one of the things that Linda and I tell people who feel left out is that often if you take that first bold step, it'll go a long way to solving that. And so we tell them, you know, to have a friend, you first have to be a friend. Does that make sense? To have a friend, you first have to be a friend. And so it it takes intentionality and effort to have friends for most of us. Not all of us you know, can just have people wanting to always cling. It's work, but it's good work. And much like our faith, each of us have that personal responsibility to be a friend. So I, I can imagine there's a few people in here, maybe an introvert or two, who are saying, well, I'll just, I'll just sit back and I'll wait for people to call me. And, and I want to tell you no. It's not how it works. Each of us has to take that step to get to know the other. You know, Pastor Chris and others have done a great job of setting these things up to where we intermix with each other. We've got home groups, community dinners, which we've mentioned, but honestly, it's not enough. It takes effort and some fearlessness too. And I'm sure we've all noticed it. Have you ever seeing somebody who's new to the church and it feels like they just immediately get plugged in, well, if that's not you, it can be you. You just have to work at it. You have to take a step out in faith and you have to do it with a little bit of humility, which is the last of the five disciplines that Peter gives us. Humble. So being humble is thinking of others as better than yourself. You know, in the first century, when, when Peter wrote this, humility was considered a sign of weakness and shame, and that, that feels a little bit like what it feels like today, right? You know, we're the, we're, the, we're the country and the generation with the athletes that make millions of dollars and get out there and, you know, what's, what's that um, Talladega Nights thing? Second is just the first loser? <clears throat> it's not true. We need to try. We need to get out there. But to God, humility is a sign of great strength. You know, there's another old saying. You might say that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. And we have an incredible model of humility in these same scriptures. In Philippians 2, Paul tells us, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who Existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And so by practicing all five of those traits, and we're going to go over them a few more times. We are supposed to be a place of comfort for others. And this is true of all Christians, not just the Christians here in the building and not just the Christians that we agree with, but all Christians throughout the world. And we need to discuss our problems and differences for sure because there are some differences. There are some disconnects. And it's okay to work towards a solution, but it's not okay to wound each other. And so that goes for outside the church as well. And so our, our second point is, it's, if it's important to treat people well inside the church, it's also important how we treat people outside the church. And this is a hard one. It's a hard one for a lot of us, it's a hard one for me because the opposite of humility is pride. <clears throat> and I know when I feel attacked or disrespected, my pride bubbles up, and it's, it's, it's not good. It's ugly. And so Peter helps us here. He doubles down on humility in the very next verse, in verse 9, where it says, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. So it's subtle, but I wonder if you notice here how it shifts from how we're to treat each other inside the church to how we should treat each other outside when Peter says, you were called for this. He's basically saying inside, outside, it doesn't matter. Treat everyone everywhere with kindness. And as a matter of fact, in the second chapter of this letter, Peter points to Jesus as that example of humility when he says, When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. See, Peter's talking about Jesus here, and that he, Jesus, trusted his Father in heaven. You know, when Jesus was arrested and tortured, he responded to an angry, self-righteous, unloving crowd with love, and when we do that, when we follow Jesus' example and advice, people sit up and they take notice. in uh, In 2015, in South Carolina, a uh, racist emotionally disturbed young white man walked into a black church and per his manifesto, he wanted to start a race war. And when he entered that church, he gunned down nine innocent people, including their pastor, who were simply attending a Bible study. The crime was horrific and the pain, honestly, unimaginable. And that church's response I don't know if you recall it, but that their response was to forgive. At that young man's sentencing, person after person from that church stood up and forgave him. One of the survivors, his name is his name is Anthony Thompson, and he lost his wife Myra to this murderer. And Anthony said this. Anthony said but we would like you to take this opportunity to repent, speaking to the murderer. Repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters most, Christ, so that he can change it, can change your ways no matter what happened to you, and you'll be okay. Do that, and you'll be better off than what you are right now. This church, that man, Anthony Thompson, faced his wife's killer, and gave a blessing. And when he gave this blessing, asking him to repent, to turn away from evil and towards God, what Anthony Thompson was trying to do was to save this man, this killer of his wife, save him in this life so that he and Anthony and his wife could be together in eternity. That's powerful. That's like That should make us... That should make us slow down and think. To turn to your wife's killer and say, I want to be with you forever and eternity. This is how you do it. You see, Anthony was a blessing that day. And Peter here tells us that he's going to inherit a blessing of his own. Because our world says to fight fire with fire, but God's word says to fight fire with water. And Anthony used water. And he used the Holy Spirit to point this man in the right direction. But that verse also talks about an inheritance. And so what is this inheritance that Peter speaks of? And that inheritance is to be in the Lord's presence. Again, same letter, 1 Peter, but chapter 1, Peter tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. Remember that, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So do you see it? It says right there, our inheritance is to be with Jesus in perfection forever. Next in chapter 3, Peter then quotes an interesting part of Scripture. He quotes Psalm 34. And Psalm 34 is a psalm where David is struggling. It says, For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. You see, David here is going through extreme suffering. He's being hunted down. His hunter is trying to kill him and to save his life. At one point in the story, David actually acts like a wild animal and pretends to be a lunatic. And he turns to God and he says, help, help me, Lord. I need you. I need deliverance from this evil. And Peter is telling us through that, the one he's acknowledging his scripture, the Old Testament. And he's also saying that If we repay evil with evil, then we too are also evil. You see, this piece of scripture reminds us that God turns his face towards his people and away from those who do evil. So brothers and sisters, he hears your prayer. But those that don't know him, he turns his face away. He turns his back on evil people. But for you, he's there. And it continues, who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you're blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. So don't think that the reason we suffer in this world is because we're Christians. I mean, there's certainly some of that. There's certainly martyrdom and Christian persecution across the world. But it's not that common for us often we suffer because we do dumb things. I mean, I hate to say it, but I know I can reflect, I've done a lot of dumb things and those have led to some of my suffering. So I, th- I think that's what Peter's telling us here. I think he's saying, hey, look, if you do good, you're going to avoid a lot of suffering. You know, we have a whole book of scripture called Proverbs that tells us almost exactly that. Proverbs tells us to make good decisions act wisely live your life according to God's word and for the most part you'll avoid a lot of pain but this is not the message of our society it's not the message of television especially daytime television it's not the message of self-help books but they're wrong just because you do good though does not guarantee you're never going to suffer As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us we are all going to suffer at some time in our lives. But even though we're going to suffer, we can minimize it through right and intelligent uh, living. And so just know that suffering is not in vain, which is our third point. Suffering, for us, Christian, is a powerful witness. And so those times when we are suffering, and some of you might be suffering right now. I can tell you I have a, 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 an, an ill family member that causes me to suffer greatly, especially at the late hours of the night when I, I can't turn my brain off. And what my suffering, what our suffering tells us is do not stop, do not stop your good works because this is when lifestyle evangelism comes into focus. And so don't miss this. We're all going to suffer. But some people, when they suffer, will be bitter and petty. And some people will be humble and loving. Suffering is suffering, but it is possible to give suffering purpose. I want to be really careful here. Because I'm not saying that all suffering has purpose. That's, that seems like a trite message. And when suffering does have a purpose, honestly, I'm not smart enough to explain it most of the time. I'm just not. But because we have Jesus, because we follow him, we can give our suffering purpose through him. And the way we do that is by following the five traits of discipleship be like minded, be sympathetic, be loving, compassionate, and humble. And when we do those things in our suffering, much like that church in South Carolina, we show the world how big and how amazing and how wonderful our God is. There's an example in, in the book of Job. And I uh, Job was under tremendous suffering, suffering like I can't imagine. And at one point in his suffering, Job's wife, which is kind of, one of the human foils in the book, turns to him and says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. You see, Job's wife spouts faulty human wisdom. In essence, she's saying, if God's not going to serve me, if he's not going to grant my wishes, then why should I serve him? But Job has a response there. Job says, Should we only accept good from God and not adversity? You see, when when people see you in pain and ask themselves, Why do you serve why do they still serve God when bad things happen? It's it's because we have a hope when they see you holding tight to God and they see your community rally around you like we've seen so many times in the last couple of years, they see love and they see God in you and it creates questions. I'm aware that recently, because of some of the tragedies that we've, we've had to, to go through, people outside our, our community have said things like, if I didn't already have deep roots in my church, I'd want to be a part of yours. Or somebody said, you know, I'm thinking of joining church because the way I saw yours respond. Somebody else said, I don't know how you guys do it. I've never seen anything like that. I didn't know church could do that. And so, like, if I was Billy Rose, that's why I would grab you all and I would say, I think you're wonderful. You've done it well. Verse 15 tells us, But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So in your heart, regard Christ regard Jesus as holy, set him apart, make him special, make him big. And because he lives in you, be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you why you have hope. You see, with with Jesus in your heart, are you ready to give a defense to anyone for the reason you have this hope? Have you thought about it? As a believer, if you are, are you different now than you were before? And if you feel that you are, can anyone else tell? Because part of this, just like being a friend, reaching out, taking effort, is wanting to be different. If Jesus is in my heart, that makes me want to be different. It makes me want to be like him. John 9:25 and also a famous hymn says I was blind but now I see. So I just want everybody check your vision especially when you're feeling prideful or angry or frustrated. And ready defense, that's a funny one. Ready to give a defense is often quoted as if all as if we all need to memorize the Bible and go to seminary. And those are surely good things. Don't get me wrong but I don't think that's what Peter is talking about here. You see, it's, it's great to all know responses to Darwinism or creationism or the reason you believe the Bible is true. Those are good things, but you're never gonna know it all. You're never gonna be able to explain it in a way that satisfies everybody. So by all means, learn and learn eagerly, but also know that it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people. It's your job, it's my job, to love them the way that Jesus did. And that includes telling anyone who wants to listen why being a follower of Jesus gives me so much hope. So when people outside our little community see us suffering, they're going to want to know why you don't act like Job's wife, why you don't act like the rest of the world. They expect you to repay evil for evil. And as much as I wish it, it could be different sometimes. The bad times are often what, peop, what gets people's attention. And so this lifestyle evangelism, it doesn't work that well when things are going great. And that's why I say, our suffering can be a great example. I don't want anybody to suffer. I'm not saying that Jesus wants anybody to suffer, but we're going to, and we can turn that around. Jesus said in Matthew 5.45 that God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And God sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. You might as well just put suffering in there too. But when bad happens, when evil happens, you and I, we're called to respond differently. And that's what makes the world stop and notice when we respond with love and compassion, by telling somebody they're wonderful, by publicly forgiving the racist monster who killed his wife. Again, I'm like, I like a lot of cliches today. You get more bees with honey than vinegar. It's just a fact. Verses 16 and 17 say, "'Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, Keeping a clear conscience, that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than than for doing evil. And so, to Pastor Chris's point about sin and truth, he's right. But when we do respond, we need to respond gently. And humbly, remember again Jesus's example when He described Himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine as gentle and lowly. So standing up here, it's uh, equal parts honoring and terrifying for me. It's not necessarily my natural environment. And so I pray a lot and I think about people I know a lot. And so when I prepare these sermons, people often pop into my mind as examples of the point that I'm hoping to make. And some of those people are positive examples, and to you I say thank you. Thank you for being wonderful. But sadly, some are not positive examples. And when I was studying this text, a person who does not go to this church kept lurking in my mind. And this person is known to Linda and I as someone who likes to use social media, not to bless people, but to blast them. They claim to be a follower of Jesus, and I'm, I'm not saying that they're not, but I, I have not seen them respond to anyone with gentleness or kindness. You know they might have, I just missed it. But I have seen them blast and blast and blast other people, mostly fellow believers who have not fallen lockstep in line with their exact brand of perfect faith. And I'll tell you, the the watchdog in me, when this person posts, it hurts. It bothers me. I've wrestled many times, like should I, should I make that phone call? Should I? What should I do? And it really hurts me to see other people get attacked. And I I just don't see how that's helping Jesus's message much. And so I know that I am susceptible to things. And so I quit posting on social media on November 14th, 2020. Still on there. Call me a lurker or whatever, but I I'm just not posting anymore. I may again, but I'm not now. And I know the day, November 14th, 2020, because I wanted my last post to be something kind and beautiful. So I made it about Linda on her birthday. So write that down. November 14th is Linda's birthday. You see, because I struggle with bullies, and I struggle with letting them get away with it. And I struggle in my heart with being kind and responding to certain types of bullying. And so sometimes it's best for me to withdraw. And I do this because of what it means when Peter says it's better to suffer for good than evil. I want you to take scripture at its word. I want you to take Peter at his word. And I don't want to be personally. I don't want to be any part of evil. You see, I I might be a Jesus follower, I might be a Christian, but that does not eradicate the sinful nature that lives in me or anyone else. What becoming a Christian does is it gives us a place to take a stand. It gives us a place to take a stand against sin that lives inside all of us. And as Peter points out, we, we need to be smart about it. So to believe in Jesus is to be a witness to the world world in word, action, and deed. For God, of course, but also against the nature that lives inside of me. And that sometimes calls people like me, at least, to silence because I want to be known for good things, not bad things. You know, in Matthew 12, 33 12, Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is known by its fruit. So again, I'm, I'm not challenging anybody in this audience. Your fruit has been good, but I want to sure, make sure, I want to I be assured as best as we can that our fruit remains good because we all want to be that tree that produces the good fruit, Right? So Bible commentators, maybe you know this, but they often call Peter the apostle of hope based on his writings and his posture. And hope's a funny word, right? Because people today say things like, I sure hope it doesn't rain. Or for my friends Oscar and Danny and a few others, I sure hope the, I sure hope the Lakers pull this one out. But the Greek word used for hope means an eager, confident expectation. It's not a blind hope. It's not an empty hope. It's not a throwing a coin in the air hope. It's a confident expectation. And as I I asked you to remember two words earlier, it's a living hope, as Peter calls it in chapter one. And that living hope is Jesus. And so I think it's important here that Peter is talking to believers as a firsthand witness to a number of things certainly Jesus's ministry, certainly a firsthand witness to his death and resurrection, but he's also a firsthand witness to something a little little unique. You see, Peter is the disciple who denied Jesus three times as Jesus was arrested. You probably remember Jesus telling him, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And a short time later, Jesus dies on a cross and as Pastor Chris uh, so powerfully taught us at Easter service, he rose again three days later. And when he rose again, Jesus met back up with his disciples. And there's a really intriguing and beautiful scene where, where Jesus meets them on the, sea, on the side of the Sea of Galilee. He's walking along and they, they're in a boat and they rush out to meet him. And they, they have a meal together. And during that meeting, Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. But he did something unique. He asked Peter three times if he loved him. And each time, Peter essentially said yes. That's three times Jesus asked Peter if he loved him for the three times that Peter denied him, denied knowing him as as Jesus was hauled off and tortured. And in response to Jesus asking Peter this, Jesus tells Peter to take care of his, of Jesus' flock. And then Jesus says to Peter, truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, Peter, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And He, Peter, said this, I'm sorry, Jesus said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus told him, Follow me. You see, Jesus knew his death was coming by uncomfortable means. And for the next 30 to 35 years, Peter continued to follow Jesus, continued to spread the good news. Peter received the power to hope from the living hope. The power of the cross, the power of the resurrection changed everything for Peter. And it changes everything for us. So in my research, one of the interesting things about this letter is we don't know exactly when it was written, but it was written at the same time as Peter. Peter's death and so I, as I said Sylvanus Peter's buddy appears to have potentially written it from Peter's words we don't know but we do know death was near and so history tells us that Peter was executed by Rome and when he was executed he was freely pronouncing never recanting that Jesus is Lord And church lore tells us that Peter didn't feel worthy to die the same death as his Lord Jesus. And he demanded that his Roman captors hang him on the cross upside down until dead, which must have been excruciating. And so in closing, we should all do our best to be Peter. We should all do our best to be Jesus. We have the power to do that, by, as he tells us in verse 8, being like-minded. Imitating Jesus. Having his sympathy. Having the love that Jesus had. Having the compassion that he had. Having his humility. And so, as you go on, remember his death for our sin his victory, our victory, in his resurrection. And remember that he's promised to come again. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.